ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a one-fall match with a 60-minute time limit. This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Where the Big Boys Play. Uh, I'm here, as ever, with Chad Campbell. How are you doing, Chad? Doing good today, Parv. How are you today? I'm great, and uh, we're gathered here today to talk about Clash of the Champions 23 um in 1993 uh so uh, unless you had any other news chad shall we get over to the Meltzers? i don't have anything uh that's kind of right on the tip of my tongue to be talked about right now so i guess we can go straight into the Meltzers. it's time for the wrestling observer extra Extra. with dave Meltzer. all right so it's may the 24th 1993 and Meltzer goes on this big rant about slamboree, about the slamboree concept, about the idea of having legends in wrestling. And I thought this would be quite interesting to read some of his comments. He says, Slamboree would have been a great idea if this was baseball. Old Timers Day is traditionally one of the best drawing gimmicks for most teams. It would have been a great idea if this was basketball. The Legends game is now a successful fixture of All-Star Weekend. It would have worked in Japan. New Japan did it a few years ago and it worked. But in Japan, ex-wrestling legends like Luthers, Carl Gotch, Lord James Blears and Billy Robinson are routinely brought in as either dignitaries or coaches to the current stars. And wrestling's history is well preserved on both television and in magazines. But was it a great idea for WCW? As of right now, it does not appear to be the case. They sold less than a thousand tickets um, for a live show at the Omni, which we reviewed last time, of course, Chad. Um, they're doing a lot of giveaways, two-for-one ticket coupons and in the Atlanta suburbs. Um, and basically, it tanked. Uh, Slamboree was the lowest drawing uh, pay-per-view that they'd ever done. Um, and he basically goes on about how, um, you know, why has U.S. wrestling ignored its own roots in this history for so long? There isn't a baseball fan in this country who hasn't heard of Babe Ruth and Ty Cobb, and they go back more than 60 years. Very few modern fans have heard of Lou Thayers or even, even Johnny Valentine, and they were still active 20 years ago. To readers, to readers of this publication, Slamboree is a big deal. It's a chance to see people they gave a lot uh, of 20-year-plus fans' memories from the past. Uh, in what way this idea will satisfy long-time fans, um, but basically saying like nobody knows who any of these guys are. In today's yeah. pro wrestling, to the mass audience, the stars of the good old days are not Johnny Valentine, Mad Dog Vashorn, uh, Harley Race, Dory Funk, or Vin Garnier. Outside of parts of the Northeast and the Southwest, they aren't even Blackjack Mulligan and Dusty Rhodes. They are George Steele, Roddy Piper, Big John Studd, Mr. T, and Cindy Lauper. As someone who followed this business for more than 20 years, it seems somehow wrong to make that statement, but it is an also an undeniable truth. And this is really why I wanted to read this, Chad, because he says, About five years back, WCW promoted a show in San Francisco 
and one of the mid-card matches pitted Mike Rotunda against Dory Funk Jr. <laughs> this is the mm. same Dory Funk who was NWA champion from 1969 to 73, which even by the standards of that time period was a very long title run. Compare Funk standing in the business to someone in, in another entertainment business, say the movies, baseball or football. That was the premier act in the field for a four-year period and an international superstar for more than another decade. By and large, the fans couldn't understand why Rotunda was having so many problems with an old man. It wasn't until about the 12 or 15, um, 12 minutes into the 15-minute match that the fans started uh, getting into it a little with comments like, that old man can really wrestle. If there wasn't any interest or knowledge among the audience purchasing tickets of things that happened in the past, it couldn't have taken them uh, 12 minutes to figure it out. So he's basically saying the audience didn't know who Dory Funk was. Um, right. And Harley Race uh, would mean one hell of a lot more as the manager today if they knew who, who these people were. Officially, WCW announced two of the Legends matches as Funk, uh, blah, blah, blah. So you, you get the gist of what he's saying there, Chad. Any thoughts about that? I mean, I, I guess it probably read very differently in 1993 uh, from how it reads now. But any initial thoughts? <laughs> uh, so a couple things on that. One, um, the Rotunda Funk match... They, uh, he wrote that was in your bedroom. Where was that at? Um, that was. Did fun- that take place? Oh, I, I thought that took place uh, <laughs> in in Young Parr's backyard because that sounds like your uh, absolute dream match there. Um, as far as the general gist, this is I think interesting to hear this written about 1993. Because it's kind of come full circle now with the WWE business model current day. And, I mean, the stars, the biggest stars are the part-timers. And with it seeming like The Undertaker's retired and The Rock is gone. And now John Cena is certainly going to be transitioning into doing more Hollywood than wrestling, uh, it appears. We're kind of coming at a big crossroads where we'll see if they've been able to establish any new stars or not uh, because what they've relied upon for their biggest show of the year Wrestlemania I would say since uh, probably Wrestlemania 27 till current day has been a lot of part timers or special attractions stuff like that even you know you think about like Daniel Bryan his rise when he won the championship, I mean, he was up there against Batista, who was a movie star that had just came back. And, you know, Triple H was involved, and he wasn't working a lot of matches by that time either. So it, it's interesting to hear that, you know, now, and whether you want to debate, like, what WWE is doing now is good or bad. I mean, I, th- I, th- I, th- I think certainly if you look at it, from just a show standpoint, well, the biggest gates they've ever drawn have been using that part-time model. But if you project it forward and think about it from a long-standing prospect for the future, then it becomes a little bit scarier, and I guess I'm way less positive on it. And we get into the case, like I mentioned before just a minute ago, where we're at now, where... Those part-timers are going away. I mean, I don't know how much left Brock has, but uh, he he definitely looks like he's one step away from a heart attack every time he enters the ring. So I can't think he's too far off from being completely done. 
and a lot of the other part-timers they've relied on in the past five to ten years are completely done. So so it's an interesting thing to think about. I mean, I didn't think when watching the show with Slamboree, certainly it was a um, a nod to the past and the presentation and the way they presented that. But I think also for one pay-per-view in a calendar year, it's not that bad of a concept. I mean, like he mentions with the baseball, basketball, other sports, they have an old-timers day, old-timers weekend, stuff like that. And those are usually successful, so I don't see, you know, I can't fault WCW for thinking this might have generated some interest. Well, I mean, I I think the the, the biggest point is that uh, they should have booked Dory Funk more like The Undertaker back in, like, the mid-80s, is basically what he's saying. (laughs) (laughs) Have him come in and squash Vader in, like, two minutes. Yeah. Yeah. but uh, not... yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, what do you want to do? You know, I mean, they had the old timers, face the old timers and legends matches. So, I mean, neither Font nor Bockwinkle, when they came in and did that match, they weren't, you know, holding down any WCW stars of today no. because they were facing each other. I, I think the main person to blame for this, of course, is Vince, because he just basically buried wrestling history when right. he was also making it mainstream. Um, and his kind of like thing of like, even like when Harley Race came in as the king, they kind of gave a sly nod to his past, but basically he was a brand new character. Um, and, you know, Dory Funk was in, he had a run, uh, him and Terry had a run in uh, during that time against Hogan. And, you know, they barely kind of touched on who these guys were. They renamed him Hoss Funk. Do you know yeah, what I mean? It's kind of... And, and I, I could tell you there's um, a podcast I've done six episodes. It's on the Place to Be Nation Wrestling feed. It's called Jeff Learns Wrestling. And you're seeing that firsthand from somebody that's watching this stuff for the first time 20 years later because Justin's friends Jeff he he has a very narrow frame of reference in wrestling basically Hulk Hogan Steve Austin that's it uh, didn't even really know Andre when he started <laughs> Chad, so, you, know, we, you know we should uh, take Jeff and we should be like um, you know like the you know like the Harry Potter uh, the Harry Potter teachers the lecturers like I could come in. I could do like a ten week course on Dory Funk. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll just I'll just uh, say that the matches he's watching, uh, there's a strong possibility that uh, I had some input <laughs> into what he's viewing. So so the uh, where the big boys play connection is there, but but you know you saw that like he just their their latest episode dropped a couple of days ago. It was on WrestleMania three. So he watched WrestleMania 3, and like you were saying with Harley Race, I mean, because they don't mention anything, uh, he sees Harley Race as like this old guy barely hanging on as this king gimmick that he doesn't connect to at all. Whereas if they would have presented Harley as like an old grizzled, you know, legend veteran that can still go and kick ass, then maybe that would have been more receptive to the WWF audience. Uh, but, I mean, there's 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 examples time and time again. I mean, Harley Race, Ronnie Garvin, Kim Patera, everybody knows kind of the list of folks that were prominent in the territory days, and then they went into WWF and Rock and Wrestling, and 
I mean, that perception, it feels like we're still, you know, me and you, Parv, we, we're still having to have battles about some of these guys and yeah. saying, no, go back and watch the footage, even with the uh, greatest WWE wrestler ever. You know, there's been some education that still had to be done on people like Ken Patera. <laughs> and I've been I've been excited to hear people going back and, you know, having their eyes open. That's always an exciting moment. But it is frustrating because, yeah, so much of our wrestling history and lineage right now is written by that singular force, which is Vince McMahon. And this kind of plays into that, too, this whole concept. Do you know what's been hilarious for me about that whole thing? Is that uh, obviously me and some of the Titans boys dropped in guys like uh, Baron Cicluno and stuff. Yeah, all of Kelly's jobbers. (laughs) But to see people going in and, like, treating it, deadly seriously like i need to go back and watch footage to make an assessment it's just like (laughs) they have no idea what we've done (laughs) um anyway let's uh let's carry on then um i think ultimately on the legends thing we need there needs to be a balance doesn't there um and vince did do the whole like basically brett was probably the first one where he didn't he explicitly call no actually it was savage was the first one when they were kind of calling Savage the Babe Ruth of wrestling and all of that sort of stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you, yeah. Me- do you remember? And uh, th- Trying to, yeah, that's kind of trying to create a new mythology, you know, your new mythology of the uh, of the promotion and the history as a whole. But uh, so 1,000 in attendance is very weird because both, I just checked that while you were reading. So Graham Cawthon... I mean, he has an attendance of 7,000 people, so that was a lot of giveaways. Yeah, well, they, 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 two for what? Two for one giveaway. Yeah, but geez, <laughs> I mean, six, you know, 6,000 was papered, 1,000 was purchased. That's a, uh, that's a pretty crazy ratio. Usually, you know, at worst, it's, you know, you know like some of your more heavily papered shows like Royal Rumble 1997, it was probably 50% paid, 50% papered. For this to be, what, about 85% papered, that's kind of astounding if that's true. Well, as you know, Chell, I went to the Hooters down there in downtown Atlanta, and I could yeah. I could imagine turning up there with, the, with a bunch of uh, free tickets and being like, anyone want to go to the uh, wrestling tonight? I reckon you'd pick up loads of people just like the night before. You know, here are some free tickets, you know. Yeah, I, well, I guess that shows that people were willing to actually go see wrestling, but not just pay for wrestling. Yeah. Um, all right, well, the U.S. title will be held up between Rick Rude and Dustin Rhodes. They held a match that aired on Worldwide this past week with a double pin finish uh, in which uh, each actually got their shoulder up, but the two refs counted uh, one man down and Rude left with a belt. I call that the George Scott finish. Uh, being that it's almost summer, they may bring back uh, that best of seven idea that they've been toying with every summer, but always seems to fall f- through due to unforeseen circumstances. Um, so th- this was a like Rude was on the show. He had the U.S. belt in the briefcase, didn't he? I guess that yes. was what this was about. That he he never he never lost the belt. Technically. Yeah, that that's what they were inferring that. You know, he never lost the belt, so he's the rightful title holder, even though uh, at this point of the clash we're reviewing, the title was vacant. New Orleans on Alexandria House shows this past weekend headline with Sting Vader strap matches. They each drew about a thousand. Uh, yes. Good, bad, bad. Bad, yeah. 
Flair for the Gold segment over the weekend with Brian Pillman and Steve Austin was nothing short of incredible. It's funny that these guys have shot past everyone to be the best tag team in the world. And they really were just a mixed team because Chris Benoit's negotiations uh, kept getting tangled up. Now, I, I actually went to, because they were hyping this so much on the on the Clash, I went back and watched this. Have you seen this segment? Uh-huh. Um, I didn't think it was that incredible. It was quite, I mean, it was quite funny, I guess, uh, seeing them shoot on, flaring on, for being old. Yeah, and... <laughs> I, I, I guess this is one of those things where you didn't have a lot of this back at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so again, in 1993 eyes, it's like, Oh, well, this is really innovative. But when you see like what, what, uh, what the NWO, when they do their four horsemen parody in a couple of years and even the like DX impersonating the nation of domination, whatever you think of that, which there's some thoughts uh, that I've, got for that segment but um i i kind of didn't like it i'm very protective of flaring on <laughs> <laughs> but i can't i mean i guess it worked on that level given that i'm a fan and uh you know i was like oh you called you know but arm was only 35 here and they were making fun of him for having like a pop belly and yeah they really <laughs> and, and we'll get to it when we talk about the match but they really go all in that like arn is like this fat ass i mean essentially like that he's uh I don't know why they went that way because I mean, Arn sure he doesn't have a six pack, but I, I mean he looks like a, a very in shape, reaching his middle ages man to me. To to, to me, this felt like it broke it broke some of the rules of promos and things. Like I I always thought you meant to, even though you're you meant to like talk up your opponent even as you talk them down. Um, but here it just seemed like they were calling them out for being old and fat. And I actually thought that's a bit risky given that, you know, Flair is getting on here. So if you're a casual fan at home and you're seeing Flair get called old and, you, you know, let's, let's just say you've put wrestling on for the first time in three years. You'd be like, oh, maybe Ric Flair is quite old. You know what I mean? It's kind of, I can see this back, like that whole strategy backfiring in a way. I, I, I'm not keen on that uh, way of doing promos. Yeah, I guess they're assuming Flair would be bulletproof, but I but I get your point certainly that um, th- this was pretty much you know you're going to insult the Horsemen, Flair and Arn, and then you're going to have a brawl at the end. Uh, Chris Benoit and Two Cold Scorpio are going to leave for New Japan Junior Heavyweight Tournament uh, immediately after Slamboree. Have you seen any of that tournament? Yeah, that is. Uh... That was a pretty good tournament. It's the top of the Super Juniors from 1993, I think. I want to think. Let me see if, uh, yeah, Benoit actually ended up winning. I thought he did. Yep, he ends up winning the final versus El Samurai, which is a really strong match. Um, New Japan in the 90s and even in the 2000s with the 2000 stuff I'm watching, we've kind of been spoiled currently with getting all the g1 matches and all the best of the super junior matches in full so there's not a ton of clips out here but this was a loaded lineup let me just read you the lineup of the guys that were in this tournament um real quick so you had masao ohara that's a non-entity uh otani Mm -hmm. lightning kid so sean waltman uh, Norio Honaga, which this was his 
I guess, probably biggest run. Uh, Finley, and then Liger, uh, Eddie Guerrero, Two Cold Scorpio, Dean Malenko, El Samurai, and Benoit. So that's a pretty stout list. I mean, you got, that's how many people over on the tournament. 11 people in the tournament, and one, two, three, four, five, six made, uh, I think El Samurai too, so seven made my top 100 in the greatest wrestler ever, and Two Cold Scorpio made a lot of people's list as well. How did Scorpio do in that tournament, incidentally? Uh, he finished with 12 points, so Pegasus Kid in the final standings had 14 points, and then they had just a glut of people with 12 points. Uh, how, about, how about, like, in terms of his work, did he hold his own against uh, some of that top talent? I... I Again, he was mostly not featured on the stuff I have seen from that. Right. Uh, so the only, I mean, really the only match I recall, like, very vividly is the uh, Elf Samurai and Pegasus Kid match, which was fantastic. But beyond that, it's pretty shaky and just mostly clips and stuff that I've seen. Sylvester Stallone will do an interview on WCW uh, on May the 22nd. It's nice to have, but I don't see it as helping much. If Stallone were here to work the pay-per-view in one of the faces' corners, that would help out immensely because it's a mainstream tie-in that this group badly needs. Why would they book Sly Stallone and not stick him on Slamboree? <laughs> I don't know. That just boggles my mind. I just don't and, understand. Uh, he, he got a name drop on this clash, too, um, by Jesse. So I, I guess they were still trying to go for it. Know. You know, Jesse always says he's buddies with him, but... Well, he was in a film with him, wasn't he? Yeah. Was Predator? Yes. yes. Oh, incidentally, uh, if anyone hasn't watched that new Vietnam War documentary, it's amazing. It's on BBC iPlayer currently, and yeah. uh, it's on uh, PBS in America. But uh, it, it, I only mention that because some of the shots reminded me of Jesse and Predator. You know, the... Yeah. Uh, you know the you know the use of the AKs and so on, but I learned a lot from that. Um, the new Ken Burns, I got it on uh, DVR. I haven't watched it yet, but yeah, I'm four episodes in. It's honestly, it's best treatment of that topic I've, I've seen. Uh, nice. In 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 other news, Sabu uh, has a tryout scheduled. <laughs> that should be fun. I guess he didn't. <laughs> did, I don't think he did. Uh, you must have failed that tryout, right? Yeah, I, I guess I would guess we'll probably hear what happened um, coming up on observers. <laughs> okay, so um, over now to the uh, where where are we? We're in the June seventh, and um, I I couldn't help but notice this. It's WWF news, but Vince McMahon has uh, resigned as president of Titan Sports. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, who uh to linda <laughs> uh this is where linda becomes the new one um, yeah there we go yeah the classic move uh vince remains ceo of titan and will remain a television personality uh but basically uh linda linda takes over as president has she been is she still the president uh <laughs> i think she's what is her official title i'll look that up real quick and see well, what she's it actually, is she's actually in the actual government now isn't she <laughs> yeah, she's, she's uh, the administrator of the Small Business Administration. That's right. So I, I'm guessing she probably uh, is not doing much wrestling in the cabinet. Right, yeah. Um, 
Great. Uh, okay. <laughs> oh, we should mention this. If if the Rock runs for president, will Vince have divided loyalties? Do you think he'll go with uh, Trump, or do you think he'll go with with the Rock? <laughs> Oh, that'd be interesting. Yes. <laughs> I, de- I did look at Cebu real quick. So he had one match in a house show on six uh, June the third, and it was in Michigan. So that's local to him. So that was it. Probably botched a spot <laughs> <laughs> on purpose, according to his uh, defenders. Yeah. Our reports indicate that the buy rate for Slambury between uh, was between zero point three and zero point four percent which would make it the lowest buy rate for any pay-per-view show uh, from one of the two major companies in history. Uh, That would indicate the WCW share of the gross um, was around $800,000, which wouldn't be the lowest ever because of the $24.95 price tag, as opposed to the $20 price tag um, on a few of the poorest performing pay-per-view shows of 92. So they basically put the price up that's uh, that makes no sense. Why would you put the price up when you're performing that badly? You put the price down. Surely you'd drive. What, what Dory you... fart. <laughs> uh, no, yeah. I mean, I mean, you see this in businesses all the time, though. The at, like restaurants and stuff like that. The prices go up the more they flounder, just because I, I guess the rationale is if I have just this core customer base then they'll pay whatever but eventually they say they're not going to pay that and then most of the places go out of business um and overall i mean as we go through these observers probably for the next few shows we're entering kind of a weird time where i mean with slamboree and this show that we talk about i don't even know dave's star ratings i didn't look those up like i usually do but I, I mean, this period in WCW, I mean, you have some crap, certainly. The Lost in Cleveland, the mini-movie, stuff like that. But overall, I mean, I enjoyed Slamboree. We'll get to this clash, but I enjoyed this clash. So, like, actually in ring with what we're watching and some of the TV stuff I've watched on the yearbooks, I kind of enjoy 93 WCW on the whole. Like, I don't yeah. think it's this atrocity you know it's atrocious year overall that it kind of sometimes gets presented as um and it, it you know it definitely was bad business but and in, in most of in most cases in wrestling kind of what aesthetically pleases me and what really drives the box office those don't generally coincide um a lot of the times so it's it's kind of an interesting thing to hear how much of a failure like a show like Slamboree 93 was, which I can understand, but I mean, when we reviewed it, we both generally liked the show, and I certainly like the concept. I think it's a neat concept. Yeah, so one of those, I mean, I've long uh, maintained that 93 WCW is fine, and uh, and even, uh, I mean, fast forwarding a bit, before Hogan comes in, I really like, I mean, I've probably said this before, but I kind of like what they're building here. Uh, I like this product. <laughs> um, yeah. It, you know, it really feel, it feels like it's got history. It's really good in, in-ring stuff. There's some decent feuds going on. I mean, it's not like, like nothing's lighting the world on fire, but it's all solid, good, solid wrestling, you know? Um, so, yeah, I, part of me always wishes to, like, to see how this would have gone. But obviously, uh, Bischoff changes gears uh, 
and decides that he wants to go with a different vision. But that's down the line. But uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I I would say like ninety three WCW I like better than ninety five. I like it better than ninety one for sure. I know just those two, and then you know as you get into the later years, I think it's uh, like it better than two thousand for sure. Um, and it's probably comparable with ninety nine once you get into it. So as you're talking about, you only have thirteen years of WCW as a whole, and this is probably not in the bottom three so it's you know it's not spectacular but i don't think it's as awful as it gets presented sometimes let me ask you a different question would you take it over 93 wwf i was thinking about that so i think i actually would uh i don't think any one pay-per-view we watch this year is gonna be as good as king of the ring Mm. but I mean, WrestleMania 9 is bad. I don't think that's a good show. I mean, that that's not some hot take, but it, <laughs> even somebody that tries to be contrarian, sometimes I've rewatched that show, and besides the cool setting, I haven't it, uh, been it, able to find it, much redeeming quality. Well, it does have the best 30-minute countdown show of all time and Sean Mooney's <laughs> swan, swan song on the, no, on the address. Oh, well, there you go. There you go. The long highlight. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, I mean, a lot of those Raws, uh, that's something that through place to be, I've watched a lot, either through rewatches or through Justin and Scott's reviews that they've done on site. So that's something I paid attention to because, um, I mean, I was eight years old, so I was probably watching it, but not too intently, of course, in real time. And I hadn't revisited the 93 Raws and there's a lot of garbage. Mm-hmm. I mean, even something when you get like Fatu versus Bret Hart and uh, quote unquote marquee match, it's decent, but there's a ton of great TV on WCW. I think WCW's TV was better, had more quality matches. I mean, I didn't think Bret Hart versus Fatu or anything. Even even like you take the biggest match on 1993 WWF TV, which was probably uh, Mr. Perfect versus Flair. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think that compares to some of the top-end stuff we see with the Hollywood Blondes, some of their tag matches. Uh and then even something like Regal versus Wyndham from April. It's, it's a weird Money Inc. Steiners that's around. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, there's some good stuff with WWF, but there's a lot of bad. Yeah. And even and I don't think there's any great. I think that's the big distinction. Yeah. Uh, whereas in WCW TV, you at least had something great or, you know, I mean, something like uh, Flair and Sting when they have that match. It was, I think it's June or July. They have that like 40 minute match on uh, mm-hmm. WCW Saturday night. So that's very unique. Yeah, no, I, I get, while we're on this subject of 93 WWF, uh, if you do want to laugh, try to try to track down the raw where Brutus Beefcake comes back. We documented it on one of the letters from Kayfabe's uh, last year but it that was one of the most i've laughed in a in, in a while because the, the the relentless losing the loserish nature of brutus beefcake is uh, hilarious somebody tells him to go kill himself <laughs> and one, of the, that one of the one of the fan shows go and kill yourself yeah <laughs> pretty bad no he is like really pathetic though like down on his luck his wife mm. like cuckolds him it's really uh anyway um 
Uh, WCW has officially released information uh, stating that they will be cutting back from 300 to 200 house shows per year. And they're also going to concentrate almost exclusively on the southeastern United States. This is Ric Flair's big plan, Chad. Um, I don't know if he had any part in this decision making, but I know on his, um, I know he said many, many times that he thought the expansion was a, mis- was a mistake and that they should always have just stuck to the southeast. Um, good, good business idea from them. Or? Yeah, I, I mean, I think we chronicled that the southeast was really where they were drawing good, but. Yeah, it just seems like at this time they were kind of too big to be regional, but too small to really draw anywhere else. So they're kind of stuck, unfortunately. I, I get the I get the impression that the base has been dwindling for WCW over all of this yeah, time. Yeah, I mean, we, we've kind of chronicled that. You can look even in their strong... I mean, look at Slamboree. Oh, I was mean, that the Omni? I mean, yeah, if it only drew 1,000, that's pitiful in one of your biggest towns. So I... I I don't know what the solution is. It's it's very weird because they have very marketable TV slot. I mean, they have 605 on TBS at a time when almost everybody had cable. So, I mean, they weren't regional at all. But um, I, it's probably just pro wrestling in 93 in the United States was just on a deep, deep dive. I mean, it's a low point business-wise now you know we just talked about the end ring we both like but i mean business-wise both with wwf and wcw 93 is probably one of the lowest years you can count on it in 95 do you know what kills me chad that if you think of like if you look in history like some nerd in like 20 years time or something will be look back and like a roster with rude flair windham on dustin vader you know it's a stacked rock you know, they, you yeah. know they, um Regal, all of these, all of these favorites of ours. This was the roster, and if you go back, the likes of Carlito would have been out drawing them in like, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah. pick a, like a random year from two thousand and eight or something, and you know, Randy Orton is a bigger draw. It's kind of a it's kind of sickening in a way. Yeah, that's <laughs> uh, just sort of how it is. The <laughs> nature of the beast, I guess. Um, while rumours abound about major changes, they are yet unofficially confirmed. Um, so there we go. They're going to cut back uh, tapings in Orlando uh, from twenty f- from forty eight hours of television to eighteen hours. They'll now be taping um, three hours per day. So yeah, we don't need to That's get into the week. That's good. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you want to go into all this. He does his like mid year wrestler of the year stuff. Um, I don't want to go. I'll just give him the, the top candidates. He shouts out: Big, okay. Va- Big Van Vader, yeah. Shawn Michaels, no, Bret Hart, okay, Masawa, yeah, and Kawada. Those are the those are the people he pushes out there for wrestler of the year so far. Interesting. Um, couple of names he excluded there. You know, ninety three. I think typically worldwide, most people think of Kobashi. Yeah. And Akira uh, Hokuto's uh, so I, I'm, reign. I'm trying to understand because he, then he goes on to the most outstanding, and this is where he talks about Kobashi. Okay, so he's <laughs> doing yeah, he's doing his like box office, all encompassing on yeah. the front end. But uh, but why would Michaels be in that category? I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, what I, was I, Michaels drawing? 
I don't even know what Michaels was doing. What was he doing at the start of the year? Well, I, I contend to me, I mean, I'm a Michaels fan, certainly bigger than you, Parv. I will contend to me, like, in my opinion, 93 Shawn Michaels is possibly his worst year as a professional wrestler. R- r- remind I've me, remind me who, who, he, who he faced. He, I know he had Sherry around. And... Yeah, he has the Janetti the Janetti oh, yeah, yeah. and then uh, when Janetti leaves... He does a lot with Perfect in the summer. There's a lot of house shows. Yeah. And and we and we have a decent amount of the fan cams. There's one from Providence. There's one from MSG, I think. And those are really underwhelming matches. This is your well, who, kind who, of who, who's going to go on offense in that? Two guys just flinging themselves around yeah. and nobody punching. And, you know, and they do. They don't. They don't even do a lot of their bumping. There's a lot of like <laughs> stalling and. Like shtick, it's it's very odd. Like a very kind of I don't know what the deal was with those two, but th- to me they had zero chemistry. Even if they would have both been, you know, like I mean, you could see like a match that wouldn't work that well, but both of them were bumping like crazy and stuff like that. So at least they were working hard. Even with what I watched, it feels like they're folded it in. Who, who was Michael? I mean, completely blank. Did he face the tanker? Yes, he faced Tatanka in yeah. WrestleMania. Um, he has the match with Perfect at SummerSlam, which a lot of people call disappointing. I actually think that one's better than uh, that one's better than the house show stuff I've seen. But still, I mean, star rating rise, you're talking like two and a half. And then, um, and then he's the sub in for Jerry Lawler at oh, so yeah, yeah. Series with the rape uh, allegations. Right. Well, I mean, we're we're just in June here, so I think the last pay per view for uh, them was King of the Ring. King, and yeah, so. I think he faced a crush, crush there. Um, so anyway, he, he carries on. Best baby face. Um, he basically says Hogan or Noki. <laughs> uh, the other kick uh, picks are that's, Conan. That's weird too. <laughs> um, his picks are Conan, Undertaker, and Masawa. Okay. So there we go. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, I would. Anoki, he wasn't wrestling around in '93. Hogan, I mean, I, that was a failure. Him winning the title at WrestleMania. So I don't see well, how what, he. What, 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 what you're saying is, is that the two biggest stars are Hogan and Anoki. Okay. But, but they had a really quiet. They had a really quiet '93. Yeah. I, so. So that's why he's going with his pick. His number one pick is Conan, I think. <laughs> um, and then Conan I, was big. And then Undertaker was number two, which I can I can kind of see. Um, best heel, uh, Vader, but he reckons that this is a very weak category. Can't even come up with a strong candidate for second. WF was headlined with Yokozuna, who has been effective. Luger hasn't been effective. Giant Gonzalez is a joke. And Money Inca, bu- <laughs> and then he, Money Inca burned out. I mean, he doesn't need to. He doesn't need to bury Money Inc. in there. Um, <laughs> I mean, they, they headline WrestleMania, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> WCW's top heels are Paul Orndorff, who is great at getting heat live, but that doesn't mean a thing at the box office. What? Paul Orndorff is WCW's top heel <laughs> since when? Yeah. And and, <laughs> and Rick Rude, who was great last year, but doesn't seem to have meant a thing this year. Japan doesn't have what I would call strong heels this year. So the top three, according to Meltzer, are Vader, Cian Karras, and Yokozuna. Yeah. 
got no issue with his top three, man. He kind of went the long way to get there, but no problems. And then he goes, I don't know, the feud of the year. Um, I don't need to go through all of this. Does he give a match of the year, half let's, year? Let's have a look. His, his feud of the year is New Japan versus War. Well, I completely yeah. agree with that. Yeah, and then Rock and the Roll versus Heavenly Bodies, Conan versus yep. Karras. Ta- tag team of the year, basically, without even thinking, he says, it's the Hollywood Blondes uh, with uh, Miami, Manami Toyota and Toshio Yamada in second place. Yes. So, yep. And then he also gives a shout out to Steamboat and Douglas. Match of the year, here we are. Here we go. So far, it's Dynamite, Kanzai, and Azaki mm-hmm. against Toyota and Yamada. That's from Dream Slam 2. Yep. And then in the second place, he's got Kawada versus Kabashi. And then a six-man from Mexico. Kawada versus Kabashi. I guess that's from the Champions Carnival. That's weird. 4-14. Yeah, that's the Champions Carnival match. This, This is... Yeah, I don't... I mean, I guess by this time he'd watch Hokuto and Ken Dory from Dream Slam 1, and he just, uh, he, because that Kawada-Kabashi match, if you watch it, it's like, okay, it's really good, but one, it's clipped, and two, it's like, I mean, it's a four-star match, which, okay, yeah, that's a great match, but I I never understood, because I do think he has some, like, monster rating, it may even be five stars, which is absurd. When when are the great handsome matches from that year? Well, that's what I was about to say, so, you know, he doesn't have your Kawada-Hanson match that, you know, you and Steven championed in the All Japan Excite series, and there, I mean, there's a ton of stuff that I would have above that match, um, just for this year let me let me uh, i'll do a quick search and see where i even have that match on my overall 1993 match of the year isn't there a hansen kabashi as well from night from 93 there he is that's uh july 31st all oh, right okay so yep. it hadn't happened yet to be fair <laughs> all right well let's see what let's see what where the well chad is doing that i'll see what other categories he goes through here because uh Meltzer as always goes to town on these things Let's Even see. the Masawa and Kawada from the uh, Champions Carnival, to me, was a better match. I had that at four and a half when I watched it. That's a great match, too. The, the Mexican match that he has in third is uh, uh, Super Calo, Rey Mysterio Jr. Uh, and winners. And winners taking on yeah. Jerry Estrada, Psychosis, and Heavy Metal. That's a good match. But... He, he said it's the best Lucha Libre style match I can ever recall to you. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's not going to be beating uh, MS1 and uh, <laughs> Sangre Chicago. Or maybe he hadn't, maybe he hadn't watched it. Good Lord. <laughs> oh, boy. He also put Gordian Williams as the third place uh, tag team. What were they up to that year? Yeah, they were in Japan. Yeah. So that's, uh, yeah, this is right before Gordy has a stroke. Oh. So, so, yeah, they were in Japan doing good. So you got your list? Uh, yeah, I, I, and actually, uh, I didn't even rank it because it was clipped. I, was, I said it was too clipped. So, <laughs> I don't know. But, yeah, I mean, from what you could see, it was not a five-star classic. So that's a erroneous pick. 
Jesse Ventura was released from hospital on Thursday, but apparently isn't 100% yet, as Larry Zabisco handled the colour on the 6-1 tapings uh, at centre stage. Ventura suffered a blood clot in his leg the day before the Slamboree show. Uh, I hope uh, Jesse gets well soon. <laughs> September Clash of the Champions is uh, tentatively picked for Roanoke. Uh, Sting, Davy Boy Smith, Sid Vicious and Big Van Vader were in Tampa on the beach a few days, uh, putting together an $80,000 mini-movie for the pay-per-view. Watch this space, because yeah. <laughs> we know what's coming up there. It appears that the undercard on that show will be Wyndham versus Flair for the NWA title and Dustin Rhodes versus Rick Rude for the US title. Shane uh, Douglas is through with the company, although details of a departure are sketchy. Um, although no doubt money was the crux of it. Gordon Soley has taken over the event centre slots in place of the departed Tony Gilliam. Who? Any, any Tony Gilliam? Anyone? That does not ring a bell. Maybe well, somebody well, I mean, can what, chime in. It's an outrage that Gordon Soley wasn't doing the event centre in the first place. I mean, he, that was a, do you remember that was a segment on this show, Once Upon a Time, Chad? Right, right, <laughs> yeah. Do the... Uh, the golden solely we'd insert him in right after the melters <laughs> they were quite interesting for a while and then they basically just became really boring didn't they yeah i, I, I wish um god it'd be nice with so much stuff that's getting on earth it'd be really nice if somebody somehow had like the old jim ross shows from yeah. wsb or you know there's just you hear no recordings from, like, the hotlines. No. I, I know when Lance Russell passed away, somebody mentioned, like, you know, they, they had a screenshot of the hotline weekly kind of people that were on it. And, you know, you had Russell, you had Ross. It was a great list of people. Um, and uh, just there's there's none of that. So, I mean, you don't know how, like, inside it was or what was going on but it'd be fascinating to listen to those now i would love to listen to the bill watts rants that were on those uh, jim ross radio shows because he called in a few times didn't he uh, yeah yeah uh, those would be good um michael buffer boo who is uh, currently the most famous boxing ring announcer will be the ring announcer at the norfolk clash uh i think this is buffer's first appearance for wcw i was, I was wondering about that I, so. I'm pretty sure it's his first time, and I mean, as a Gary Michael Capetta loyalist, I am not a fan of Buffer coming into these shows. Interesting, yeah. So the first time, and uh, I mean, we pretty much have him to almost the end of the run. I, I didn't know I don't like him. He's so obviously not a fan of wrestling. <laughs> That's my view. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he always seemed like somebody that knew like Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan and nobody else. Yeah, just there to pick up a paycheck. He's so cheesy and so, like, I don't know. But maybe you you might have a different uh, view. I I've, I mean, I, I know my dad always liked Buffer when he did Let's Get Ready to Rumble. That's, you know, a real casual yeah. perspective that when I went with my dad or if he was watching, he'd always get jazzed up for Buffer. I, I never cared much either way. I, I mean, I did like Capetta, but I was always a Fink number one type guy. So to to me, it feels a bit cheap trying to get um, trying to get cred off boxing. You know, I don't like that idea. Right. Um, although, uh, did, did you watch the uh, the Holyfield? Uh, uh, you know, the, the it was a while back now. But did you happen to watch that? 
MMA versus boxer match that happened. The Holyfield. The, 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 the Holyfield. Uh, Mayweather. Uh, sorry, 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 sorry. Um, yes, Mayweather. Uh, yeah, McGregor. That's the name I was looking for. McGregor. McGregor versus uh, Mayweather. Did you watch that? I did. Um, yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> Get you into boxing at all? Well, you know, I was into boxing a lot. Uh, that's one of the things that's kind of... So when I got into MMA in 2007 and 2008, and, you know, it overtook wrestling almost to the point where we started this podcast is when the flip happened again where I was more into wrestling than MMA. Um, I was watching a lot of boxing at that time, too. So I was probably watching like 60% MMA, 20% boxing, 20% wrestling for a few of those years. Wow. Um, now, with both UFC, I'm completely out on with uh, boxing after the latest fight with Triple G versus Canelo, which uh, happened a couple of weeks ago. And that was just, I thought, an atrocity. Of course, it ended in a draw. So it's, it's just one of those things where it's like boxing is a lot of it just doesn't feel like it's on the up and up. And in my mind, it's like, if I want that, I'll just watch wrestling. So Mayweather and McGregor was interesting from kind of a, you know, one of those attraction standpoints for me. Yeah. But it certainly didn't want me to go dive deep into, you know, the lower rung boxing contenders and stuff like I was a few years ago. I got into boxing for a while, believe it or not. Um, I was really, uh, I was on the Joe Calzaghe bandwagon. Uh, yeah. Because obviously he's Welsh, and uh, I am also Welsh, um, and uh, you know he was he retired undefeated, um, much like much like Mayweather. And one of the things I could never get my head around as a like, you know, I watched it and I kind of followed it a little bit. But I could never get into the like the mindset of a boxing fan, like you know when they do like their greatest boxers ever type thing. It's almost like the the win losses and the championships and things. It's, they almost don't matter. So like. Calzaghe, who was never defeated in his entire career, doesn't like never comes up in top ten boxers lists. Not, not, even, not even top twenty boxers lists. Sometimes he doesn't even make the top fifty. Like yeah, it, they don't do a great job with their championships. I mean, everybody has a belt, which I think hurts because you know, like you're you think of the boxing lineage, it was just you know the heavyweight champion, whether that was Muhammad Ali or Joe Lewis or whoever. Um, and they were the champ. Uh, so, so they definitely falter there. I mean, Roy, I'd say Roy Jones Jr. is kind of like that way too, where he was dynamic and dominant for a while, but he was undersized. So there was a lot of like Friday night fights on ESPN and HBO fights for him. Not much like pay-per-view draws. Even like Mayweather doesn't really like, I mean, no. I mean, Mayweather's what they're fighting at what 145 pounds. Yeah. So it's it's just weird that you know I weigh almost twice as much as Floyd Mayweather. I mean, I'm a big guy, but <laughs> oh, I don't know. It's like how how and then, I don't know. It sounds stupid, but in some ways it it does become an issue. It's like, well, how intimidated can you be? You know, I mean, Mayweather's five foot eight. And 140 pounds. It's like. Do you think you can take Mayweather, Chad? I do not. I'm not saying that. I'm not. Um, I'm sure you haven't listened. On oh, the latest reaction show, uh, 
Dylan Hills proclaimed he could beat up Brock Lesnar. <laughs> day. So, so I'm not going to go out on a limb and say I would give uh, Mayweather his first defeat, but it is, you know, it is an issue where as a kid, like Muhammad Ali and Mike Tyson, like Mike Tyson felt dangerous. Yeah. Like that was part of his appeal. I mean, good and bad, but with Mayweather, I mean, he certainly lives up a persona and a character, but I don't. I don't feel like he's very dangerous. He's a very extremely technical, proficient fighter. Right, but you, you know what I'm saying. Like Tyson and uh, Ali, like they picked up losses in their career, but that did, like it doesn't seem to hurt. Yeah. It doesn't seem to hurt them when it when it comes to uh, when it comes to working out those things. So I just find that yeah, interesting. Yeah. That's all. Like all timers. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think Ali has five losses, and he's still easily the goat. You know, with any list. Uh, speaking of goats, Davy Boy Smith <laughs> was shaken up at uh, Slamboree with Vader, but he didn't miss any bookings. Um, Vader went into the match with badly bruised ribs, hasn't worked since Slamboree. Brian Pillman also missed several dates with a bad back. Um, Pillman is one of those guys permanently injured in, in some right. capacity, right? According, Perpetually banged up, yeah. According to one source, Dusty Rose wanted to run an angle on the eve of Slamboree, which would have resulted in himself and Dick Murdoch as a tag team against Tex uh, Slasnager and Shanghai Pierce, but it was vetoed by those above. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, okay, so Dusty Rhodes wanted to actually team with... That would have been really interesting, Dusty Rhodes and Dick Murdoch. Uh, re- the, the, the Outlaws reunited. Right, against. right. Against, uh, you know, they were doing the kind of Outlaw gimmick for Pierce and uh, Slasnager too. Mm. So... It would have been the old Outlaws versus the new... I think that would have been fun. I I would have liked to have seen those matches, honestly. Um, Paul Orndorff suffered a a groin pull during the TV match against Two Cold Scorpio that aired. He's going to miss a few dates. Um, And as we know, he misses the clash, doesn't he? Um, Scorpio did go to New Japan, and so he's not going to be back for a while. He's going to face Wyndham at the clash. We're going to talk about that match in a bit. Um... Hopefully they took some stuff with him before he left, so they'll be able to put some heat into the match. Uh, but if the pass is any indication, they won't. Be, that won't be the case. At the house shows where Scorpio is advertised, Junkyard Dog will be taking his place. Oh my God! What? <laughs> <laughs> he, he's still around. <laughs> <laughs> to go from uh, one of the more dynamic people well, on the scene to uh, JYD. <laughs> He won't be doing any frog splashes, will he? No, no uh, tumbleweeds from JYD, I would guess. At the tapings at Knoxville, a Fred Flintstone-like character was wandering around lit ringside, a la Doink the Clown. The guy was former Florida jobber Tim Powerhouse Parker doing his Bongo the Caveman gimmick that he's been using in the Florida Indies. That sounds brilliant. Uh, Chris Champion has also debuted... Um, at a taping doing a Japanese martial arts gimmick using the name Yoshi Kwan. Yes. And uh, this is one of well, this is one of my like childhood memories, uh, Chad. I always remember Gordon Soli on an event center um, when Yoshi Kwan was debuting uh, <laughs> and announcing the name. He really like elongated the syllables of uh, Yoshi Kwan, and he pause afterwards. Uh, I, I did, it's one of those weird little memories I've got. Um, 
Except uh, Sting versus Sid Vicious. Uh, sorry, expect Sting versus Sid at the house uh, at the Halloween Havoc. Uh, does that happen? Sting versus Sid at Halloween Havoc. I can't remember. I think it was scheduled, and then you have the uh, scissors thing. Oh yeah, of course. They held tryouts for new positions at the Tampa Sportatorium this past week with Blackjack Mulligan and Jody the Assassin. No, nope. I'm wrong. They nope. do face off. Oh, I do. I have no memory of that. I don't remember that match either. Um, I have no memory of that. Reports we got were three wrestlers were signed for six months, $300 a week on te- uh, development contract deals. Thunder and Lightning, a big muscular tag team that worked for Eddie Mansfield's IWF and Lestat to the Vampire. AKA Dave Heath, who worked. Uh, is, is, uh, is is that Gangrel? Uh, yeah, that's Gangrel. Uh, I thought I thought I recognised the name. Uh, he he actually last worked in the AWF in Puerto Rico. I heard some negative comments regarding this, in that they picked the two muscle guys who showed no ability at all above some good workers who tried out. Jimmy Backlund in particular. So there we go. Sid Vicious's first house shows will be against Van Hammer and Eric Watts. <laughs> I don't know why that tickled me, but it does. Just the idea that Van Hammer and Eric Watts are still around. Yeah, um, what a team. Kenzuki Sasaki did nothing but jobs on this tour, including several to Max Payne and a one-time time limit draw with Eric Watts. Oh, God. Oh, boy. Kenzuki Sasaki, a time limit draw with Eric Watts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so they've got, a, they've got a couple of corrections... Uh, double juice brawl um, between Wyndham and Rhodes and Jacksonville. That uh, sounds interesting. Yeah, that should be good. Um, supposedly, when Cactus Jack returns, he'll be a heel uh, as part of his amnesia gimmick. Uh, basically, part of his amnesia gimmick will be that he forgot turning face, so he's going to be a heel. Does that mean that the bookers are going to do an amnesia gimmick as well when it comes uh, to <laughs> that? That whole gimmick is just. <laughs> That's so bad. Those those segments are just really bad. I, I mean, I think... It, I don't know. It's like... That really shows... I mean, I, I, as we talked about, and it kind of came full circle. To me, that's a lot of the perception with 93 WCWs. I mean, that's the first thing people think of is lost in Cleveland. Which, I mean, that is, that is atrocious, but... It's bad. Melter says, have you ever wondered what happened to those Secret Service men that were with Ric Flair when he first came in? <laughs> I guess that's his... Uh, he's doing a joke about uh, bookers with amnesia, forgetting about <laughs> things like... Um, Don't you love angles with a start, no middle, and no conclusion? So there we <laughs> go. <laughs> um, what else? Uh, Chris Walker and Robbie V are reportedly gone, although this has not been cons- confirmed. Uh, not sure if any of us would have missed them. Before the show, 200 handbills with text name were passed around centre stage. Before the show began, Doug, head of security Dillinger, had the dubious task of retrieving all of them before the taping started, which put the crowd in a bad mood. Why did they do that then? Tony Schiavone, before the show, went on the air, tried to break the ice by joking that you know we're a dictatorship here. It was so bad... But when Gary Capetta tried to get the crowd to chant "We want Flair," they instead chanted "We want Tex." Well, what is this? 
this is so bizarre. It's something to do with text, Lazenger, as well. Oh, I get, I get, I, I may recant me defending um, 1993 WCW <laughs> stuff. Obviously, this was all done because the last thing WCW wanted was an arena filled with handbills for Tex when he was in a match against Sting and Davy Boy. I, I have no. Oh my god. I, I cannot understand why they would do that for Tex Lazenger. No. Well, if, so. if anyone knows what the, what that was about, write in because uh yeah yeah, yeah. that's really weird. Um, okay, carrying on uh, June the fourth um, and uh, what else happened? More stuff about Vince resigning. There's a lot of steroids stuff uh, around right. this time, and um, steroid use in pro wrestling encouragement of which and ignorance of which was in many ways the catalyst of all of these problems has been largely ignored by WCW. Um, so a little bit of stuff going over what Kip Frey and Bill Watts tried to do about this. Uh, last week, Bill Shaw wrote a memo to all WCW employees regarding a new drug policy, which was passed out to all the wrestlers at the center stage taping uh, on June the 7th. The policy prohibits employees from using steroids and other illegal drugs, specifically mentioning human growth hormone. Ah. Um, so there we go, um, which is a virtual, which is virtually impossible to detect in urine drug tests and food supplements containing illegal substances. Also mentioned in the policy were abuse of prescription and over-the-counter medications and possession of any illegal drugs. So there we go, uh, Bill Shaw cracking down. Um, I still have to wonder why he hasn't been fired. Bill Shaw. Do you think he should be fired by now? I think so. Uh, yeah, probably so. Okay. Um, and a little bit more news here. Um, television was taped for 619 and 626 at centre stage. Jesse Ventura was back doing commentary. Yay! A funny note on syndication is that Ventura on Worldwide was talking about all the fun he had at Slamboree when he wasn't actually there. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> the show and commentary um, where he said that was taped before Slamboree, which, being that life can't be booked like storylines, means that the taping was way ahead and could lead love to embarrassing it. spots like that. We, we love a bit of that, don't we? Um, yes, those are always good Easter eggs when you can kind of pick up on those. I mean, they've been making them since 1986 <laughs> at this point, and uh, yeah. no signs of sh- slowing down. The assassin, uh, Jody Hamilton, did yet another interview challenging Dusty Rhodes. It appears that they are headed for a match at the 7-Eleven pay-per-view. Does this happen? The assassin? No. <laughs> yeah. Well, now, he gets, he's very involved with uh, when he starts managing, but I don't believe he had any matches. Although some believe Bill Shaw will have mixed it because he specifically does not want Dusty Rhodes in the ring again. Well, I mean, I can see why. <laughs> I think uh, I can see why too, but, but yeah. The assassin in 1993 in a match. Let's see if the uh, what cage match. Oh my god, yeah. So <laughs> at this point, cage match had the last assassin match, which again keep uh, this with a grain of salt with cage match in the uh, old territories, but in 1988. Wow. I mean, his neck alone. So he, he, he'd been gone for a while. <laughs> okay. Um, I just find that bizarre that they were even thinking about a pay-per-view match featuring And he would have been, yeah, and he would have been like 53, 54 
even at this point. Uh, great, great interview though, the assassin. Great oh poem. yeah, uh, uh, assassin's one of my. Fa- I mean, you know, of course, like every once in a while, when you talk to old timers in Georgia, uh, some of my family members that did watch wrestling, assassin's one of the ones they bring up along with Bob Armstrong, people like that. Paul Roma debuted as a face, but the crowd chanted, "We want Tully at him." <laughs> <laughs> He looked rusty from largely being out of the ring for a long time. Oh, man. In an interview with the Three Horsemen, Ric Flair talked about challenging Barry Windham for the NWA title, while Arn and Roma talked about challenging the Blondes for the tag title. So evidently that match as well will take place at Beach Blast. Paul Orndorff defended the TV title against Ricky Steamboat in a four-minute match, ending with a DQ when Dick Slater interfered. Yoshi Kwan, that is Chris Champion, worked another dark match, um... And Teddy Long uh, was there to talk about Bagwell and Scorpio's plane being delayed in regard to their scheduled match with the Wrecking Crew. Now, Teddy Long, is he a ref? Like, where's he been for all this time? He is, well, you know, he was with Johnny B, or was he, oh man, Teddy Long, I get very confused with. He's no longer a ref. I would think he's either gearing up or has started his manager run. Hmm. I wonder why. Wonder why was he was he managing Bagwell and Scorpio? I don't think so. Yeah, he he. Uh, that's he definitely managed them. But he wasn't on this show. Point. He wasn't on this but show. But not. Right? No, he was not on this show. Uh. So yeah, like after Doom, he managed Johnny B. Bad, One Man Gang, Skyscraper. So yeah, I don't know if he'd started managing Bagwell and Scorpio on the syndicated shows or not. But that will happen. Soon, I'm, I know he's there by like fall brawlish, Halloween Havoc that time period because he's he's feuding with uh, Missy when they have the Nasty Boys feud. In, in my mind, Teddy Long is like a D-list uh, D-list manager, like a like a low level, you know. Below slick. Below, like if slick is like C level, Teddy Long is a D level. So I yeah, um, so like I'd probably A is like your. You know, Cornette and yeah. yeah. And then B would be, what, maybe like JJ? No, it'd be like, uh, yeah, JJ or I even have like the likes of... Um, Gary Hart. Yeah. I want, I want, I, but I want to I put Teddy Long below Mr. Fuji and, <laughs> and like... Yeah, I, I could see Teddy Long in there with like your Frenchie Martins... He, he's of that like I, I don't know like uh, what's what's the guy I really hate Big Daddy Dink the Oliver Humperdink oh yeah Oliver Humperdink he he feels like that kind of tier I'd probably put him behind somebody like Colonel Robert Parker who yep. I'd have in like the C tier yep um you know even like a Sherry I'd put her probably as a B or C level yeah no I'd I'd say she's a B yeah uh, all right um. Who? That'd be a fun show. Just yeah, we could just go down and, like ranking doing the doing the tiers of managers. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll give like letter grade tiers. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, I'd want to stick up for my man, the Grand Wizard, of course. Uh, uh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but okay, Brian Pillman missed all of the house shows this week with a bad back, but he will be back for the Clash. Just always injured. Um, yeah. Ref Mike Atkins, who was married to Jody Hamilton's daughter, seems to be gone leaving just two refs in the company. Nick Patrick and Randy don't call me Pee Wee Anderson. 
Right, Nate, Nick Patrick is uh, Hamilton's son. Interesting. Yeah. So I wonder what happened there with uh, Ref Mike Atkins. A little, little family feud there, maybe. I don't know. Several complaints were phoned into TBS about the first segment looking for Cactus Jack, which aired Saturday. Catherine Wright was at a mental hospital when they said that Cactus has been since the Vader match, but he has escaped without authorization. She interviewed a guy pretending to be Rain Man, the scriptwriter who came up with this trash, uh, Melissa says, <laughs> and the guy pretending to be Jack Nicholson from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, an actor who does yeah. a Nicholson impersonation. Yeah, it's bad. The complaints were largely that the segment made fun of mentally ill people. The, my complaint is that they took an angle that people actually believed and made sure that everyone just knew it was another weekly wrestling angle. Cactus right. Jack himself went un, underwent major knee surgery about two weeks back, uh, shouldn't be back in the ring for at least six months. Does um does uh Foley talk about the, that particular angle in his book anywhere? The, yes, the first book has a long um chapter just based on Lost in Cleveland. He you know shits on it, and I, I mean it seemed justified. It's it's a really bad angle. I mean around this time you have the Lost in Cleveland skits. And on ECW, you have Eddie Gilbert's King of Philadelphia skits, and both are two of the most kind of off, most atrocious series of like vignettes that I can remember in wrestling, and they're both running at the same time. Just awful. So I always get confused with the timeline of this because my memory as a kid is of uh, is of uh, cactus sending Harley race cactuses. This must happen after the Lost in Cleveland stuff. Yeah. Like when he's coming back, I think. Like closer to when he actually gets back in the ring. Mm, we'll have to see. I don't remember. I know he... I think so, because that's right when he uh, he has to go through Yoshi Kwan to uh, <laughs> get to Vader. Apparently, uh, Shane Douglas is going to go back to teaching. I wish he had gone back to teaching. Dean, Dean Douglas. Dean Douglas comes back as the... Is the Dean Douglas gimmick. <laughs> so uh, imagine having Shane Douglas as your teacher in late. I don't know late why school. he doesn't. Well, why doesn't he teach now? Well, he's qualified. Like, well, I'm, well, he's like a manager of a Target, but I would think uh, I don't know whether manager of Target or teacher would pay more. I'd almost think teacher, though. So. Uh, maybe not if he just has a bachelor's. That's kind of interesting. Kendall Windham and Sam Houston are coming in as a tag team. How exciting. Mm. Sam Houston's still knocking around. Um, Sam Houston, it seems like he always got some shots at different places and was just yeah. not good. Blackjack Mulligan and Gordon Soley are now doing the announcing on the Power Hour. Have you, do you have any Soley Mulligan? No. <laughs> I'd be really interested to go back and listen to those. That's uh, <laughs> a weird pair. Blackjack Mulligan back. Blackjack Mulligan, it'd just yeah. be, It'd just be like, I, I'm just imagining like some, like, you know, Van Hammer versus a jobber or something. And they just, <laughs> and they just slip back into like Florida memories from the 70s and stuff. I can't yeah, imagine right. what else they talk about those two. Um, Big Van <laughs> Big Van Vader returned to action this past week and is working on top at Houses Against Davy Boy Smith. Sabu did receive a tryout in Port Huron, Missouri. They actually did a match with Sabu versus a local wrestler called Mad Max Anthony before any fans were in the building. Sabu broke Hi. Anthony's nose doing a moonsault. <laughs> uh, 
he doesn't have the date on that, right? It's uh, yeah, it's uh, third, third of June. Okay, yep, that's the one that was on. Uh, yep, yep, that's the one that's on Cage Match. Yep. Sabu oh, was you. told they would fly him to Atlanta for another tryout, this time in front of fans, but he did break somebody's nose in the match. So yeah, and that never happened. Uh, local Michigan wrestler Mike Kelly blew out his knee at the same show. He wrestled Eric Watts in front of fans. Kelly went oh. for a moonsault. Watts was supposed to move, but he didn't. And Kelly, to avoid hurting him, had to change a direction in midair and wind up blowing out his knee, similar to Arn Anderson's initial knee injury against Eric Watts. So Eric Watts still basically can't wrestle. Um, and that's it. Uh, so... Should we have a short break? Do we still do breaks on the place to be? <laughs> yeah, we'll go to break and uh, we'll be back with our review of Clash 23. Live Thursday night, Clash of the Champions. He once ruled WCW with an iron fist. And now, I'm back! Woo! Yes, Ric Flair has returned. Did you miss me? <laughs> the Nature Boy and Arn Anderson take on the Hollywood Blonde. The Hollywood who? On Clash of the Champions. Live 805 Eastern Thursday night only on PBS. Don't be late. All right, we're back and it's time for the review of Clash of the Champions 23. We're in Norfolk, Virginia, not too far from you at the Scope. Chad, is that still there, the Scope? I don't know if the scope's still there. That's that's a good. Um, I mean, I'd say Norfolk is probably a good eight to ten hours from where I live. Well, it's just like a quick drive for you, isn't it? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> um, uh, it drew six thousand fans, uh, but about two thirds of that number was paper. Uh, so Gosh, the, here we go again. So the total gate for the house was twenty k. <laughs> Jesus. How are they going to pay anyone? So bad. That's probably like Flair's fee alone for the appearance would be more than 20k, right? Yeah, that's that's really bad. Uh, still in uh, operation today, the scope is. Let's see if anybody's there. It's the Norfolk Admirals of the uh, minor league NHL is the only team that I'm seeing. So it's not a lot going on in the scope these days. It's weird because um, Jesse goes like on a whole rant at one point about like, why is it called the scope? It's just a civic arena. Why don't they call it something else? (laughs) (laughs) Which is a bit bit of a weird, he he had it in for Norfolk the whole show, didn't he? (laughs) (laughs) Is it a rough area? Like what's the, (laughs) Uh, I mean, I don't think it's, uh, I'm not, too familiar with the politics of Norfolk. <laughs> he, but, he, he was laying it in. He, he had a he had a whole go about them. Uh, he was like, at least I won't bump into any bar, uh, jarheads. It's a navy town. So. Yeah, it's one of those kind of like um, you know mid-sized towns I kind of go into. I'm looking now at their population: two hundred forty-five thousand is the whole city. So you know, pretty pretty uh, not too densely populated. <laughs> But it was one of their core towns on the old Crockett Loop. I, I, yes. I always remember seeing Norfolk. So so the fact, I mean, it's a 13,000-seat arena, and they drew 6,000, including, paper, like, most of it was put... Two-thirds of that was papered over. So the actual drawing figure is in the region of, like, 1.2, 1. 1.3,000. That's awful. Yeah, that is bad. Uh, Greensboro, I, I wanted to compare uh, Norfolk to Greensboro. They're almost exactly the same size. Oh, interesting. So that's, that's kind of the type of town you're thinking of. Uh, very, like, mid-range. 
All right, well, uh, a match that we didn't see, a dark match, was Jim Neidhart versus Shanghai Pierce. Chad, did you know that Jim Neidhart was contracted at WCW at this time? (laughs) I did not. Uh, That's interesting. So that's... That is... Uh, yeah, so Jim Neidhart versus Phineas Godwin. Okay. Uh, 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 Jesse tells us that Orndorff is injured and will be replaced by Dirty Dick Slater. Uh, so obviously the TV title is not going to um, be up for grabs. And that's our first match. It's Ron Simmons taking on Dick Slater. Um, I thought the Simmons got quite a warm reception here uh, from the crowd, considering... Um, I mean, compared to where he was this time last year, he's nowhere. But, uh, I mean, he seemed to get a decent pop from this 6,000-strong crowd. Yeah. And um, Paul Orndorff, did you notice the fan in the crowd with the Paula Paula Orndorff? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that must have been, like, uh, really witty and clever. In uh, in that person's mind in 1993, very proud of themselves for that one. <laughs> I mean, they what what I love about the sign is that not only have they spent time and effort making it, but they actually like then think it's a good enough idea to take along with them. Like <laughs> like that is not that's not just somebody's put time into that. They probably took more than an hour to make the Paula Orndorff sign. So uh, anyway. <laughs> And um, the story going into this is that Orndorff has been getting himself deliberate DQs as, uh, as TV champ. Um, so anyway, what, what did you make of this one? So, uh, yeah, big time Paula Chance, which he, he always had that. He always had heat from the crowd. Simmons is in his FSU gear, which looked good, I thought. Uh, he gets the early advantage and runs through his offense, including a monkey flip and shoulder block. And then uh, I, I did like that, what you touched on about, like, Orndorff either intentionally getting DQ'd or they said Simmons pinned him on WCW Saturday night, but it was after the 10-minute time limit. So, like, that, the title didn't change hands. You have to pin the champion in the first 10 minutes. And I, I, I just really like that and i missed that in wrestling because i think like the tv title as we'll see you know with orndorff here but really once it goes to regal pretty soon it really kind of has a lot of prestige and is a good way for a heel to gain some credibility and to have a nice run with the belt um, because there's so many ways you can you know utilize the belt with the tv time limit um uh, Orndor trips Simmons up that allows Slater to gain the advantage but then and, and I thought like the finish here was one of the most like dumb heel moves we've seen in all the shows we've reviewed because um, Slater pins Simmons like it's clearly a two count like Simmons clearly kicks out with a lot of authority the referee only counted two the referee audibly says two and so Slater then proceeds to get up and celebrate like he won. Orndorff's on the apron celebrating with him like they won. I, I, I didn't understand that. I thought that was so dumb. Um, and it allows Simmons to get a, a kind of weird-looking power slam. That didn't look yeah. very good. And uh, that, that wins it for him. So because Slater and Orndorff were so dumb together, 
that cost uh, the heels the match and allowed the babyface to win. I guess it's kind of tough to blame these guys because they didn't know they were going to wrestle each other. They only got three minutes or whatever. But this was kind of a glorified squash. I went a star, which even seems kind of generous to rate it that now talking about the match. Meltzer gave it half a star. Um, I I thought that finish was all over the place. I, I actually, it looked like there was meant to be a knock or something for Orndorff on the apron. Uh, and they just kind of stood there. There was a, like a weird hesitation. And then that slam that Simmons did, I don't know if it was a botch or what it, whatever, but it didn't look big enough to end the match. No. So it, uh, it was very st- unusual. Um, so, yeah, I thought very poor finish. And given that the match was three minutes or well, four minutes long, you know, <laughs> that's half of it. Um, <laughs> I did love Jesse getting on Simmons for using the point of the boot and the closed fist. Yes. <laughs> right away, he was like, oh, he's using the point of the boot. That was such a cheater. <laughs> or taking a shortcut. He, he had a lot of that in this uh, show. A lot of complaining about baby faces taking a shortcut. Um, so Eric Bischoff is with Larry Zabisco now, who is uh, talking all about this Polish wisdom. He comes out with a few <laughs> pearls. I didn't write it all down, but it sounded good. Yeah, <laughs> something um, about something about like the 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 young the uh, the, the young not learning their wisdom until they get yeah, older. Yeah, he, he he weaved it in with the too cold window match. Um, so this is kind of your Larry. Like what he's saying is fine, but you know it's like Eric asked him the time and he told you how he made the watch, which is kind of frustrating at time. And Larry's tie was atrocious. Like, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. It looked like jigsaw piece puzzles that were stacked, you know, vertically all up his tie. I mean, it was certainly a 1993 tie, but even in the confines of 1993, I didn't see how that would be an attractive looking tie. Um, Michael Buffer is here. Boo. Um, he's so cheesy. But at least he remembered his lines well, talking about the tag match. Like, he clearly learnt his little bit of script here. So I give him that. Did you, uh, did you believe that Buffer was hyped for this match? (laughs) um, He probably did more homework, I'd say, coming into this show, if this was his first big show, than most that he would do later on um there wasn't a lot of filler i guess we could say like this clash i don't know how long our reviews gonna be but i mean this clash really hums along at a good clip there wasn't hardly any backstage stuff i mean just a couple of things but not like an extensive vignettes and interviews that we've seen before yeah um so now it's rookie of the year, Marcus Alexander Bagwell, and he's taking on Lord Stephen Regal. Um, and uh, it, I think this is our first look at Regal, isn't it? It is our first look um, on a super show at Regal. He'd only been with the company uh, a couple months. And uh, Melter says Regal plays his role great. However, it's a lame role, more suitable for 1950s wrestling. Although his style is unusual in this country, uh. Regal is proficient at what he knows. Uh, the two worked a good match, but completely messed up the finish. One, one, uh, half a star. Um, half a star? Half a star. From, oh, my God. Now, what do you think about this for an all-time Meltzer call? It's a lame role, more suitable to 1950s wrestling. Yeah, this is... I mean, it seems like everything... Meltzer thought everything was 
more suitable around this time. Like that's kind of his generic insult is, oh, this felt like it was out of the '60s or out of the '50s or 20 years before. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I thought Regal's brilliant in this role, and I don't know what else he could have came in as, but I don't think it had been as effective and or memorable. He got, he got a 20 year career out of it. Yeah, uh, no problem. And even then, when it was happening, again, I can call back to my dad, you know, your ultimate casual fan. He loved Regal. He thought Regal was amazing, like how he, uh, he always said, like, he always felt like Regal, when he walked out there, it looked like he'd smelled sewage, like fresh sewage, and had just walked out to the ring, because he, he did. He always had that nose turned up in the air and really looked aristocratic and just like he detested being there. So, uh, yeah, one of, the, uh, one of the best of all time at the facial expressions. Sure, sure. We'll be getting a good bit of him. I mean, as far as this match, I actually liked it uh, up until the finish. I thought Bagwell was kind of impressive in the beginning with the little reversals and um, working after the arm of Regal. At one point, he drives a knee into the fingers, which Jesse commentates on, and that was a nice little like touch to give some extra oomph to his attack. And then Regal responds by attacking the leg, and uh, I, I thought Regal did good. I mean, he slammed the leg into the mat. He buried it up. He had some kind of toe holes that he was utilizing. So did some good uh, good leg work, and to me, it was like this match goes, what, about six, seven minutes? I was kind of clamoring for like a 10, 12-minute little extended match between these two from what we saw here. Uh, the finish certainly is very messy where – Regal gets a count pinned on him where one of his shoulders is clearly up and he was supposed to reverse it and have a big hold of the tights, but um, their leverage was off. So Regal does grab the tights for a split second, but then gives it up. And then um, it actually didn't even look like we got a three count. So there's a lot of confusion at the very end. And finally, like Regal's declared the winner. But because I like the uh, action so much, up to that point i actually went two and a quarter on this one which i know is one of your favorite ratings i know i, I figured you'd get a kick out of that rating but uh I, th- I thought this was good enough for seven minutes i didn't think it was bad at all i gave it two stars um i thought that it was it was actually a surprisingly technical affair with bagwell yeah. uh he worked for hammerlock and so on um but i i thought the the, the sloppy finish um mm basically was the thing that uh took this one down aside from that there's some decent psychology like you said that the arm versus the leg um i like jesse's line about tina turner talking about rugby being a real man's game did you did you you catch that (laughs) i I didn't catch that but yeah okay (laughs) um and also the finisher being the regal role at this time mm. yeah i don't know when because he doesn't go to like the regal stretch i don't think for a little bit so it's kind of one of those things where he's figuring it out but yeah no i thought this was a decent uh, first look out and i thought bagwell actually held his held apart from the finish he held his own up pretty well sure. yeah um, max Payne is here with the blaster and he blasts gonna be bad in the face can anyone care about this feud and just as I said, uh, just as I wrote that in my notes, <laughs> the Z-Man, the Z-Man is here. Um, and I just can't believe he's still around. I mean, what is Tom Zenk still doing hanging around? And then to make matters even worse, he attacks Max Payne and it backfires and he ends up in this arm lock. What, what, what a complete loser. 
<laughs> what do you think about? <laughs> so, I, Payne's interview was just awful. Like I, I thought it was just absolutely uh, terrible. Um, the actual bad blaster, I mean, it did make Johnny B. Bad look pretty gullible. I mean, what did he think he was going to do? But um, the actual gimmick with the bad blaster exploding and Johnny B. Bad holding his eyes, I, th- I thought that was kind of fun to a degree. Uh, when Z-Man came out, I was I was, I was, was like, is that the Z-Man checking on him? And then, yeah, sure enough, he uh, takes umbrage with what Max Payne was saying after the commercial break, comes out and tries to defend his butt buddy's honor and ends up getting attacked and pain locks on the painkiller arms mission uh as the segment ends a very mid-card feeling feud and not not a lot of juice to this one in my opinion yeah impossible to care about um now bagwell's partner too cold scorpio is here and he's up against barry windham in what i have billed as a dylan hales dream match uh, <laughs> Uh, what was Wyndham's theme here all about? Did you catch that music that he had? Yeah, it's like a was smoking, smoking. <laughs> yeah, that that theme is uh, pretty atrocious. He uh, has it for most of '93. There's a, I, every time I hear that theme, I think of like WCW Worldwide, like for his syndicated matches. But uh, yeah, not not one of the better. We're kind of in the golden era for bad WCW themes that are actually good, like you know the Man Called Sting and. Two Cold Scorpios theme, you know, as we talked about. So, so we're right, uh, you know, simply ravishing. So we're right in the mix of that. But uh, smoking for Barry Wyndham was not one of them. It's it's just actively bad. I tell you that Two Cold Scorpio theme is actively good. It's one of the best mm-hmm. themes ever. Oh, uh, and it, I, I really like it when he gets in the ring and dances with it. <laughs> like to me, that yeah. that's what sets it off because he does look cool and. It's, he, he times it where it's always like right as, uh, you know, the, the the singers are going, Scorpio, Scorpio, you know, like right at the bridge of the song. So it has a good hook, and uh, he's he's going along, right in beat to it. Now, now Michael Buffer's in for this, um, yes. because it's an NWA title bout. He announces that Two Colds had over 400 matches. Yes, that was weird. As a six-year veteran, yeah. And then he called him the diss that don't miss. <laughs> yes. And I, did the crowd boo at this point? I, I, I uh, felt like the crowd was booing Scorpio. As we'll get, I mean, this match has an interesting dynamic at the beginning, certainly. Um, where I think Barry was kind of the de facto face. I don't know if that was, uh, to be honest, kind of racial tendencies of Norfolk seeping in or what was going on there, but it was odd. Or, or maybe they just remember Barry Windham of old. Uh, maybe. You know, who, who knows? Or, like, you know, they were offended by the diss that don't miss. I don't know. <laughs> it was it was strange to me that they would be so behind Windham uh, in the early going of the match. So what did, you, uh, what did you make of this one? I think this one is the one that has a lot of kind of despairing opinion. I did, I uh, didn't look at Meltzer's ratings, but I did get our quintessential dark pegasus and scott keys reviews of this match and they both went three and a half right uh i read a lot of the pro wrestling only feed which is a lot of up and down some love it some don't um 
you can see in my uh, thread on Pro Wrestling Only that I like this match. It stayed at the same level this time. I, I think um, it's it's a really cool match to my in my mind of elevating somebody. Where do you think Two Cold Scorpios gonna win? No, but do I think that both of these guys look better coming out of this match than they did coming in? Sure, and that's the that's kind of the purpose of wrestling. Um, you you had this guy, this Two Cold Scorpio uh, character that came in and had done some exciting things and had some exciting matches kind of on the lower level. Well, now he gets a big shot and he looks fairly confident, uh, competent in there with somebody like Wyndham. Uh, so it starts out where Scorpio gets a quick drop kick and they show the speed and size contrast. Now I thought this was some of the better commentary we will get from Tony and Jesse kind of period was throughout this match. I thought they called this match beautifully, they touch on the strategies of both men. Jesse praises Scorpio when he needs to be while also praising Wyndham. Uh, at one point in the end of the match, you know, Jesse, I think he said, what, like, I love this match or what a great match. You know, one of those Jesse calls that he usually does reserve for a match that does feel great. You know, like uh, the easiest example of that is during Steamboat Savage from WrestleMania 3, where he's just like, this is one of the greatest matches I've ever seen. So yeah. Jesse kind of holds those calls together, and when he says it, it means something. So I appreciated that. So after the kind of quick beginning for Scorpio being one step ahead of Wyndham, Wyndham uh, hits a big boot to the face, and then he gets a clothesline from the top rope, and that's when the crowd was going nuts for him. Uh, and then Wyndham just goes on this barrage of offense where he does all sorts of stuff, float over suplexes, a DDT, uh, just a ton of stuff, gut wrench suplexes, some nice punches, a standing drop kick, which looked impressive. Um, Scorpio keeps kicking out, which gets Wyndham more frustrated. I uh, did like the two hope spots they put in for Scorpio here where one was an inside cradle, one was when Wyndham was going for the superplex and Scorpio hit a back suplex. Um, and then he uh, once once Wyndham does go for that superplex, Scorpio does that big dive where he changes direction in midair. That gets a near fall, and then we go straight into the ending stretch, and now the crowd is with Scorpio, uh, kind of through the action and, and the story they've told. So Scorpio gets a slingshot 450 for a two-count, Missile drop kick for another two count. Barry's kind of reeling, and you thought like he needed to counter one of big uh, one of Scorpio's aerial attacks, which he's able to do with the right hand. He goes right into his implant DDT and gets the win. So again, I I, I really love this match. To me, it's kind of comparable to Bret Hart versus One Two Three Kid from Raw in uh, July of 1994. You know, kind of your quintessential lower-rung opponent looking good against a champion. This is probably peak Wyndham, and he blows out his knee very shortly after this, which is sad because he was on a great run in 1993, and this is kind of the tail end of that that we see. And he, he's really never the same again from the Wyndham we see in this match. Uh, so I do go four stars for this one. Love it. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I, I didn't go quite... I went, in fact, the same rating as Meltzer, which is three and three quarters. Um, <laughs> uh, 
I loved seeing the barrage of all of the suplex variations, as you can imagine. And, yeah. you know, he did everything, you know, the gut wrench, the belly to back, the uh, the float over, DDT busted out at one point. When Tuchel kicked out of that DDT, I mean, I genuinely thought, you know, this is a clash. It's Tuchel Scorpio. DDT right. is probably going to be enough. And when he kicked out, I was like, oh, you know, so it's, it's rare for a fan like me to uh, bite on a near fall. But I, I, I bet on that one. Um, I thought that the, the finishing, uh, stretch was really hot. Um, when, uh, when he hit the uppercut, uh, coming over the top and the missile uh-huh. drop kick, all of those near falls were like, oh, you know, um, so yeah, I, I, classic kind of NWA style underdog match, uh, you know, Ric Flair versus Sam Houston type stuff, you know? Right. Yep. That's another example too. Yep. Um, the only the only thing that t- stopped it being a four star, and this is going to sound super nitpicky, but I thought there were a few sloppy moments from Scorpio early on. Like it felt like it it took it. He felt like he was clearing cobwebs in the first. I don't know if he'd just come on like if he'd just come off the plane from Japan or something, but I don't know. I, I felt he wasn't quite at the races in the first two three minutes of the match. Um, so that's why that's why it's not quite four stars for me. Okay. Then there was a, a promo from Dustin Rhodes, Bulldog, and Sting. And uh, this goes straight into a, a six-man tag, pretty stacked on both sides. You've got Vader, Sid Vicious, and Ravishing Rick Rude. And Chad, the Tash, is back. Did you notice that? <laughs> so so we will be getting good, uh, good Rude tonight. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they're against Dustin Rhodes, Sting, and the Bulldog. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, the Tash. Um, Sid and Vader are going by the Masters of the Power Bomb here. Right. So, what do you make of this one? Um, and and before I get into my thoughts on that, this is kind of what I talked about with no filler. Because yeah, they did a quick promo backstage with Eric, and they said nothing of note. I mean, it was just okay. We're here together. I did like the color scheme of all three, because. Um, uh, Dustin's wearing that vest or the uh, jacket that he wears around this era, era that looks very like a, you know, southwestern sunset motif. Yeah. Um, and then Sting had a different kind of color paint scheme with the red and white and black. Um, so it looked cool. Also, did you notice they kept pushing that you could order a VHS tape of the Clash? Yeah. I didn't recall that. It was twenty dollars plus four ninety nine shipping and handling. I thought that was odd that they'd be selling, you know, really pushing this free event that you could watch on TV that you could buy the tape. I mean, just get a VCR. I, um, I any, didn't know you could buy individual clashes on on tape. Me either. I don't. I don't know if they ever did that again. And it, it, it felt like a different company distributing it because I can't remember who you had to make the check payable to, but it was some weird company. So, so I don't. I didn't know what was going on with that. Um, that they were pushing that. Uh, now this match, you know, a good six man tag that set up uh, the pay per view in the future. Uh, you had a hot start with Sting versus Root. Sting takes out all three members and then gives the big tag into Dustin because Dustin versus Root is kind of the main feud at this moment. Then you get Sid and Davey. I actually thought like uh, Sid looked 
pretty energized in this match. I, I kind of like him in this setting as the Masters of the Power Bomb. actually. Yeah. I, I feel like he knows his role, and for Sid, he does about as good as you can hope for. Uh, Sting crotches Sid on the ropes, where he pulls up the rope and it crotches him, and Jesse got so pissed at that. <laughs> he was, like, outraged. Um, Vader and Dustin... Dust is always a cool pairing, and Dustin does his spot where he pounds down Vader in the corner with the punches. That always gets a great reaction, um, and he got him up for a suplex, really easy. So, so that was I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, Vader's able to compose himself. Dustin becomes the face in peril. Tags into Rude. Rude does some good damage. Has a uh, front off, a front suplex that he gets in. Sid gets in some offense too. Uh, Vader gives a power slam, um, and then uh, we kind of go into the finishing stretch where Rude goes for a tombstone. Dustin's able to reverse it and hit one of his own. You know your signature Rude spot. The tag is made to Sting, but Randy Anderson didn't see it. He was distracted with the heels. Uh, but but I, I thought this was kind of odd, but I kind of enjoyed it. So when that spot happens, like, Sting and Davey Boy just didn't accept it. And they just came in anyway, even though the referee was admonishing them. Uh, they just sort of plowed through, and the uh, match became a Pier 6 brawl. Sting goes for a stinger splash on the outside of Vader, but hits the guardrail. Um, and there's a lot of mayhem going on. Race has that briefcase that has the U.S. title in it. He hands it to Vader who wallops Dustin with it, and Rude's able to pick up the win. Uh, after the match, Davey's given a power bomb, and Sting has to chase him off with the briefcase. So again, a really fun match that set up a lot for the future. You know, didn't wasn't great, didn't kind of blow their wide with this match, but a lot of fun. I went three and a quarter for this one. Had a good time watching it. Ooh, that's, uh, that's quite high. I thought, I mean, it did its job. You know, it's messed like a six man is always messy. Um, I gave it two and a half. I just thought it was perfectly fine at what it what it did. You know, um, uh, three yeah. and a quarter is a bit high. Uh, but Meltzer also went three stars. So yeah, I, I I think this was definitely good um, and actually a little better and good because it had some of the spots that I like. Um, I mean, with these parents, there's a lot of spots they go back to, but stuff like. Dustin pounded down Vader in the corner. I love that spot. That always gets a good reaction from me. Meltzer does have the interesting note. Considering that Vader was practically paralyzed five days earlier, he was pretty amazing here. Um, so yeah. that's a good point. Uh, coming off an injury, he was, you know, t- you wouldn't know that Vader was injured coming into this. No, yeah, yeah. He was um, in pretty tip form. Now going into our main event this evening. And it's the in-ring return of the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, who I thought was looking in great shape here. Um, you know, for 1993 Flair, I thought he was, you know, he looked like he'd been in the gym and his hair was back. And what do you, what do you think of uh, Flair's look here? <laughs> it's a good look. He has the purple robe. Um, yeah, his hair's more flowing than uh, what we've become accustomed to, which was nice. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he looked good. Probably looked... Uh, I mean, I think certainly kind of his time off refreshed him a little bit in that regard. And uh, he's teaming up with his uh, old friend Arn Anderson, and they're taking on the Hollywood Blondes. So, what did you make of what did you make of this? Uh, this is also kind of a 
interesting match with the ratings. Um, we'll get to it, but I thought the ratings were kind of nuts on the uh, ones I saw. Uh, so Pillman starts off with Orn. Orn gets the best of him. And then you had uh, Austin coming in. That's when he kept calling Orn Fat Boy and like doing the impression with his hand over his stomach, like yeah. that it was he was fat. Um, it was kind of funny, but uh, again, a little bit. I, I, I kind of thought throughout this match that the Hollywood Blondes were a little too stoogy for my liking. Um, I would, I, I, you know, they set this match up. And Tony talks about like this being a generation match with the '80s versus the '90s, and on one hand, them being kind of you know sarcastic and uh, antagonistic. That kind of plays into, oh, these young punks that think they're better than us. That plays into that mentality. But I would have almost liked to have seen a little more seriousness from the blondes. I thought they got a little bit too into the sticky, you know, with the camera stuff they keep doing. And um, just just a lot of that was going on. Um, Flair gets tagged in for the first time to work over Austin. That was a cool pairing to see. Something we hadn't seen. Of course. I, I was actually wondering, is this the first time that Austin and Flair have been in the ring together? Right. Certainly the first time we've seen it um, mm-hmm. on one of these super shows. So so that was uh, so that was neat to see. Uh, and I thought they had good chemistry together. Um, the Blondes end up taking over on Arn. Uh, and then this is where I got into the Stoogie comment, because Austin is so... Um, cocky and it cost him because he's doing that filming motion and it allows Arn to punch him and then tag in Flair. So Flair comes in, he's chopping away at Pillman. Uh, Austin, I did think, took a cool bump off of Flair's back elbow, Mm -hmm. which is a spot you don't see Flair do all that much and uh, Austin bumped to the floor off of that. The Blondes team up on Flair, but Orange's able to trip up Austin, and Flair hits another nice running forearm, kind of Masawa style, uh, which was an interesting finish for the first fall. Mm. Um, and then the uh, the Blondes, I did like this. They kind of started out more intense in the second fall because they knew they were behind. So Austin suplexes Flair on the floor. Uh they work him over for just a minute. He's able to make the tag to Arn, and I like this because I thought kind of how this was going to play was we was going to have a short fall where then the Hills scored the victory. But they end up working over Arn a lot and his leg. Uh, they do a good varied offense, and this was probably my favorite part of the match was the second fall of the Blondes work over Arn um, and him kind of teasing, tagging in Flair. Flair gets the tag, runs through everything, hits the figure four when Wyndham runs in for the DQ. Paul Roma comes out to no reaction, and he cleans house, which kind of sucks. Shitty finish to a match that was just heating up, in my opinion. Uh, Good return to the ring for Flair. I went three and a half overall. Exactly the same rating as me, uh, Chad. Three and a half. Um, very solid TV main, main event. Arn sold the leg well. Would have wanted a slightly longer face and peril segment, um, actually. Um, I thought Flair, Flair was really laying in his chops. Like, uh, he seemed to be really... It seems like Pillman and Austin are two guys who were prepared to take like the full reverse knife edge, you know. Um, so I, I, I enjoyed how meaty the, the, the chops were. 
And uh, we've seen that with Flair and Pillman before. They're, they're, they're very good at the chops. Um, some part of me could only think about what was going through Austin's mind. If this was his first time in the, in the ring with Flair, uh, it seemed like he wanted to make an impression uh, to me. Um, I thought it was weird that Flair worked Austin's mouth at one point. Like he was putting his like his fingers in his mouth. That would seemed a bit. He, he was yeah, actually, well, He was doing a number of moves that we don't usually see Flair do. It was kind of a, no. Uh, I mean, you mentioned some of them, but that mouth thing and then the kind of elbows and so on. Um, I guess it's babyface Flair, so I guess his his arsenal is a little bit different for the for this sort of match. Um, Meltzer. Yeah, he di- yeah. he didn't do his uh, closed fist, you know, like his closed fist punches. He was doing more elbows, which was different. Yeah, we got a Masawa elbow out of uh, like a Masawa forearm out of Pillman at one point as well. Did you see that? Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. So, um, but uh, yeah, Meltzer went four stars on this, which I thought was right. a, mon- a monster rating. Uh, I think was it Scott Keith or Pe- I think Scott Keith went four and a quarter, and Dark Pegasus went four and a half. Yeah, that's insane. Which I, I thought those, I, I, to be honest, when I saw that, to me it was just like this is a kind of a reputation rating. Mm. I, that's that's honestly what I felt because I I just didn't see how this was a better match overall than Scorpio and uh, Wyndham. No, I, I'd have to agree with you there. I mean, you know, it's perfectly solid stuff, but it's not like, I mean, Meltzer calls it. Um, he said they popped big, and it seemed like twenty minutes of the best of mid eighties Jim Crockett promotions wrestling. Oh yeah, come with, on! With the same screw job type finish. Uh, I mean, I can see what he's going for. It did feel like very like Georgia TV kind of like with right. a some decent wrestling followed by a screw job, but you know, come on. It, it didn't seem like it was in the high end of like the flare stuff we've seen or the uh, Arn and Tully tags. I mean, this was. Middle, you know, again, a very good match, but yeah, I, I saw the great ratings and I did not understand that at all. I, I and I thought the finish was pretty terrible. I mean, I guess we can get to it whether we thought like the horsemen really cut the rug out from under the blondes because this is kind of it for them. Um, how much politics played into that, and I, I would say that's certainly unfortunate. I mean, just based off of this, it looked like. And uh, Austin and Flair were had kind of a personal vendetta against each other, and I kind of would have liked to have seen Austin versus Flair as a singles feud. I know Austin uh, Flair's about to transition into a feud with Rude, which sounds spectacular and just didn't deliver. I would I would have kind of liked to have seen Austin in that spot. Um, yeah, I think it was our buddy Charles on Pro Wrestling Only um, has the note that. Uh, the reason that the blondes were done after this was because this gate bombed, and they blamed it on the on the oh, blondes. Yeah, that is the common perception. Austin's talked about that some on his podcast too. Which, okay, I mean, <laughs> didn't Slambury just bomb too? So, but why why is it on the blondes and not on? Yeah, Flair? I mean that's true too. Like Flair's big return, which is what this match was built around, um, was his return to the ring. So. I don't know why that's not an indictment on Flair. Yeah, weird. Um, yeah. All right. And, and, you know, Sting was on the card yeah. also. Oh, got to throw in Sting as a burial <laughs> in regards to Charles. feels weird that we're low on a Flair match. Um, and, I mean, we both liked it, but 
I guess, to some of the... Because, I mean, the pro wrestling only feed uh, threads seem more in line to what we were seeing than the other reviews. Well, I mean, it, it, the, the, the thing is, is that when Flair is working babyface in a tag match, I, what I'd hope to see out of him is, you know, a phenomenal face in peril sequence or something like that. But because it was him returning, he was very dominant in this match. He didn't take a lot. Like, no. he did a... He did, like, one bump to the outside, but really he was on offense for 80% of the time. Yeah, Flair was in, uh, in peril hardly any of this match. It was mostly Arn, and even then I would say that the Flair-Arn team was on top for a lot of the match overall. Yeah. It's kind of it's kind of weird when uh, the Horsemen are booked dominant in that way, and they, they do do this uh, every once in a while, but, um, you know, it is what it is. So why don't we go to our end-of-show awards then? Okay. Um, so, what, what, what do I want to do first? The match of the night, the MVP, MVP. Should we start with the MVP? Oh, no, MVP. That one's the one I'm having a tougher time on. I mean, I guess we can do a match of the night. We both are going to say uh, Wyndham Scorpio, right? Yep, absolutely. Okay. Um, MVP, I am going to go, I think, Barry Wyndham. Um, part of that again like I said during the review I don't think we'll ever see Wyndham this good again he'll probably not win MVP again on uh, any show we do after this but uh, but I, I thought he was great I mean a lot of varied offense he, he played a great heel in that you, he was hateable but he didn't cheat you know I, th- I think that's an underrated you know he, he was he was certainly a jerk but he didn't really cheat throughout that match which I, which I, is the hills that I resonate the most with. So Barry Wyndham was my MVP. Yeah, so I, I, it's difficult to look beyond Wyndham for this for me. I, I don't even know who else would be in contention for the card. Um, I guess Scorpio. I mean, yeah. clear, I, I thought Wyndham was better than Scorpio in the match. To be honest, yeah, um, I, I, I thought um, I, I agree with that. I mean, in the main event, I thought Flair, while he did do some buried offense, I agree with you that I mean, he took so much of the match that I didn't really see him as kind of a candidate. Or, I mean, everybody in the main event to me gave like a solid B performance for those type of guys. You know, like nobody gave an excellent performance for them. And uh, Billy Graham Award. Yeah, this is kind of tough. Um, <laughs> do I want to give it? I, 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 I don't think it's very fair to give it to Slater or Simmons for that match. So I think <laughs> I'm going to give it to your boy, the Zed Man, um, <laughs> for being a jobber. Uh, <laughs> you well, know, I mean, I, Max Payne is right there. Max Payne was the person I was uh, contemplating, but. Uh, I think it's funnier to give it to Z-Man. I mean, uh, overall, this show, I don't think, had a lot of crap. Uh, that was certainly the worst segment, and Z-Man felt so random. It was like, you know, who cares about this dude? I, I think you actually might could give it to Roma, too. I mean, oh, for yeah. his run-in, I mean, he just he gets no reaction. I know, again, that's not a hot take to say Roma is a horseman is awful, but... I mean, it's bad. I mean, he has no reaction when he they positioned it to where he was going to make the big save for the horseman at the tail end of that match, and then you were going to have the Wyndham Flair pull apart at the end, um, and Roma just had nothing. Yeah, I'll give it to Tom Zank. There we go. <laughs> just to, I mean, I, I like by 
by the end of this, there's going to be people who are who have getting up to double digits for Billy Graham, and uh, Zenk has got to be in the running. He like can't. Economy. He can't be around much longer. So like Wyndham getting the MVP, this may be it for Zenk too. So a fitting <laughs> farewell. And uh, what's the next uh, show for us? Well, I, I did want to say, I mean, what did you think of this show overall? Because, you, you know, as you messaged me, this did feel like kind of a pretty stacked show. And, uh, you know, I thought it was very good for a class. Well, kind of one of those that you don't think about. Well, I mean, in terms on the bar of some of the clashes we've seen, which have been, you know, complete kind of squash fests. Right. You know, Max Payne versus Van Hammer type fair. But there was no matches of that level. Like, if um, Dick Slater hadn't been replaced, that would have been Simmons versus Orndorff, which is a very solid opener on paper. Yeah. And, and then the rest of the card is really quite strong. Um, Regal Bagwell, I guess, is your least your least biggest match, and that was yeah. pretty good. Yep. So, a very solid um, hour and a half of TV. It flew by. Right. And uh, if wrestling TV was like that every week, I'd probably still watch. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would give this an easy kind of thumbs up clash. I, I enjoyed it. I mean, for me, I had three matches above three stars, one great match. Um, and then even, you know, like Regal, Bagwell, up to the finish, I enjoyed that too. So I, I'd be show. interested to see if anyone if anyone was prepared to argue for the Wyndham match being above four stars or the Flair match uh, in particular, the, the tag match, um, the 4.5, like... Paddy Cord, if you're listening, explain to us what's Yeah, yeah, I would like to hear, uh, if, if you think the main event's a great match, kind of just to lay out the case for that. Because, yeah, I, I, to me, I mean, you know, you're not going to find bigger flare marks than uh, both of us, especially you, Parv. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think we both slotted this in the very good, but... Yeah, I mean, probably not even a top 25 Matt Flair match. No, certainly not. Not even, uh, who knows, in Flair's career arc where this would land, but not not in the upper echelon for sure. I'm glad he's still with us anyway. Yes, uh, so yes. I'd mention that because uh, it was looking dicey there for a few days. Definitely was. That Especially the day when all that came out, it was uh, pretty harrowing. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and that it's, it's funny how wrestling devs kind of hit you because like with bobby heenan um he, i mean he'd been in such bad health for so long it, it, it's almost like i mean it's horrible to say but it's almost like we we it's almost like he'd already gone like, in a way yeah, it's like hopefully he's found his peace now you know like he yeah, won't suffer yeah. anymore whereas with lance russell uh this week like him being 91 you know, I mean, I've always liked Lance. I do think he's the best commentator probably of all time, in my opinion. Um, others may have peaks that I like better, but consistently, week in, week out, I put Lance as number one. And, you know, again, he's 91, but just him dying, it, it really made me do a lot of reflection Monday, and or uh, I, I guess, it, no, it was Tuesday, and um, kind of think about, like, you know, how he does personify and act a lot like my grandfather who's still living and around the same age my grandfather's 88 and uh it, it just it just hit me more and when flair when he was in that shape you know i mean like the life flair's lived has been fulfilled um he's lived a full life certainly but um 
when it was, you know, kind of up in the air whether he was going to make it or not when he was in the hospital. It really was a, a kind of a downer day, and you really kind of reflected as how much, like, somebody has meant to your life that, you know, you never met or uh, mm-hmm. never talked to, and that's, that's kind of interesting to think about. The, the, the biggest one for me still was Savage. I think that was, yeah. that, I think that a lot of people had that because right. uh, it was kind of unexpected. Right. But um, I think Flair was like, I don't want to think about when. I'm ho- hopefully as uh, you know, it's going to be uh, later rather than sooner because uh, he's not he's not even that old, is he, Ric Flair? Yeah, I mean he's he's not uh, in his sixties. Yeah, so hang in there, Nate, and we will uh, be with you next time. Yeah, for Beach Blast '93. So we'll talk to you then. Fans, for all of us here at WCW Center Stage, for Cowboy Bill Watts and the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, I'm Jim Ross saying good night, everybody.